This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. The Great Gildersleeve is waiting in the wings, but first let me throw a scare into you and yours. Have you ever been to a country fair where the tunnel of love is a mean infraction? Well, that's the setting for tonight's suspense feature we've got for you. One of the premier drama programs at the Golden Age of Radio was subtitled Radio's Outstanding Theater of Thrills and focused on suspense thriller-type scripts usually featuring leading Hollywood actors of the era. Suspense went through several major phases characterized by different hosts, sponsors, and director-producers. Formula plot devices were followed for all but a handful of episodes. The protagonist was usually a normal person, suddenly dropped into a threatening or bizarre situation, and solutions were withheld until the last possible second, and evildoers usually punished in the end. Well, let's see what happens in this episode entitled, Will You Make a Bet with Death?, that first aired in 1942. Time, the hushed voice and the prowling step, the stir of nerves at the ticking of the clock, the rescue that might be too late, a crime that is almost committed, mystery and intrigue and dangerous adventures. We invite you to enjoy stories that keep you in suspense. Can a man stake his life against $25,000? Can another and cleverer man track him down like a hunter, stalking his prey and kill him within five hours? Can you make a bet with death and win? For suspense, tonight we present Will You Make a Bet with Death by John Dixon Carr. <laughs> Colored with bathing suits. There's the boardwalk, all straw hats and summer dressing. There's the Ferris wheel and the roller coasters. There is all humanity eating hot dogs and having a good time. And over there, beyond that souvenir shop, is the haunted mill. Get into a little boat. You float through a narrow tunnel into the dark while witches scream. But that fools nobody. That's it. 
There couldn't be any real terror. Could there? While the bands are playing and the crowd goes by and... Attraction! It hurts me to see you stand there and miss this. Only ten cents, one dime, the tenth part of a dollar to go through the old haunt at meal and get the thrill of your life. An overstatement, if you ask me. One ticket, please. Did you say one ticket, lady? That's right, one ticket. What's the thrill? A big pardon, lady. I said, what's the thrill? Lady, the gals who come here with their boyfriends don't have to ask that. Attention, please, this way and mind the gate. Thank you. Step right up, ladies and gentlemen. Get your ticket for the old haunted needle where ghosts will walk and pause the... Give me some tickets. Hurry. Just a minute, young fella. I know you want to get into the old haunted needle for the plenty of time. How many tickets? I don't know. You better give me ten. Ten tickets. You hear that, ladies and gentlemen? Here's a young fella who likes the old haunted mill so much, he buys ten tickets. Don't call everybody for attention. Listen, I've got a better idea. Whatever boat comes after mine, yeah. I'll give you an extra dollar to send that boat through empty. No, it's a matter of some of the cops I ain't after you, are No, 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 it's nothing like that. Will you do it? Well, let me talk, young fella. Okay, go ahead. Isn't there an empty boat here? Well, really? You've got such a great objection to riding in the same boat with me? Oh, I, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean that at all. Don't misunderstand. Then you better get in if you want to go. This boat's starting to move. <laughs> yeah, I, I... I better sit down. You certainly had. Look here, I, I... I want to apologize. That's quite unnecessary. This place is rather childish anyway, isn't it? Yes. Isn't it? But I've seen everything else, so I may as well see this. Here we go in the dark. Oh, what was that? Uh, one of the ghosts, I imagine. From a machine. It sounded like him laughing. There isn't anybody on the boat behind us, is there? I can't see. It's pitch dark. Listen, Miss... Uh, uh, Miss... My name is Andrews. Betty Andrews. If it's customary to exchange names in a place like this. Mine's Pendrel. Bob Pendrel. Did you say Pendrel? Yes. Do you know it? Oh, no, no. Not exactly. It's an unusual name, that's all. I... I don't want you to think I'm out of my mind, though I very nearly am. But I've got five hours to go. Just five hours. At the end of that time, either I'll have won $25,000 or, or else... Or else? Or else I'll be dead. <laughs> you know, I wish I'd kept you away from this boat. Well, there's nothing to get alarmed about. For you. I can't tell you much, but I had to tell somebody that or I'd have started yelling. There's just one other thing. Is there... In these places, they've usually got little dim-lighted rooms along the way. Yes, exhibits and things. Yes. Well, when we come to one, I'm going to get out of this boat and hide there. Just don't get alarmed, and don't tell anybody when you go out. Why should you do that? I think I see a light ahead. There is a light, but... Dim, too. That's all but the good. It's... Yes. We're coming around the corner. Look, I'm going to have company when I get off. A waxed dead man on a pile of straw. <laughs> Oh, I hope I can stand these noises. Goodbye, Betty Andrews. I wish we'd met at a different time. Mind the boat! Here, what are you doing? Getting out, too? Don't be an idiot. What's the idea? You need looking after, Mr. Pendrel. And if we must hide, I suppose this is as good a place as any. I won't have it. Quick, quick. There'll be more boats along. Look behind that dead man on the straw. He'll hide us. Hurry. Look. Now, Mr. Pendrel, in the queerest place I ever get into, please tell me what this is all about. I can't tell you. You said it yourself. If you don't tell somebody, you go crazy. Maybe you're right. It's against the strict terms of the bet. But this is the last day. 
And I tell you, I can't hold out any longer. Oh, your voice, oh, your voice. It's about time. <laughs> I wonder... I wonder if you ever heard of my stepfather, John Destry. Yes? I imagine everybody has. He's a millionaire and... And I'm not. I'm just a chemist. An analytical chemist. Not very successful. So if I'd had time, if I'd had money, I might have worked out a process that would have... Well, I think it would have helped in the war. But he's got money. Yes, he's got money. Well, my mother died years ago. This this Destry's a, a big, white-haired, fine-looking fellow. You'd think butter wouldn't melt in his mouth. He's got an apartment in the East 60s. Secretary, I never met her. Ballot, cook, that kind of thing. Well, he used to invite me there. I wouldn't go. Then he got hold of a book I had to have. A German work on chemicals. So I went. After dinner in that study of his, over the brandy. <laughs> oh, my dear Robert, you're quite welcome to the book. Don't mention it. Oh, uh, what do you think of this brandy, by the way? <laughs> It's excellent, thanks. Yes, yes, I thought you'd like it. And now that we're all relaxed, comfortable after dinner, tell me something. Yes, Mr. Destry. You hate me, don't you? Frankly, I do. Always have. Good, good. <laughs> then you'll be relieved to hear I've always felt the same about you. <laughs> but tell me something else. Did you ever know me to break my word? No, I never did. I'll give you that. I asked you, Robert, because uh, I want to make a little bet with you. That is, uh, if you have the nerve, which I doubt. <laughs> I'm afraid I can't afford to make bets. Uh, you were always careless with money, Robert. <laughs> well, I've been thrifty. I saw that when your mother was alive. But you can afford to make this bet. Look here, in my desk. Well? $25,000, Robert. $25,000 in five $100 bills. And what would I have to bet against that? Your life. My life? There's the money in the drawer. Look at it. What wouldn't you give for that money? What wouldn't you give to have it for this precious work of yours that you're so fond of and that you've failed in miserably? So far I've failed, yes. Well, I've had a fairly good life as lives go. My heart isn't as good as it might be, but doctors say I'll, I'll last a little while yet. But before I go, there's one pleasure, one little exquisite thrill for me to experience. I want to commit a murder. Yes, I said a murder. My bet is that I can kill you within six months and that you can't stop me. And that I'll never be punished for. What do you say? Yes or no? I believe you mean that. Of course I mean it. And just how would you propose to kill me? Ah, that would be telling. You know, if I had time to think this thing over... There's no thinking it over. Now. Yes or no? Yes. <laughs> you must need the money badly, Robert. I do need it. But oddly enough, Mr. Destry, 
That isn't why I'm doing this. No? No. I want to show you, you can't play the Lord Almighty and get away with it. Are you challenging me? Yes. You don't think I can do it? I know you can't. I, uh, we, we mustn't get excited, Robert. Uh, there will be conditions to the bet, you understand? What conditions? First of all, you'll never mention this matter to anyone. All right. That seems fair enough. You'll remain within the city limits of New York for six months. You'll spend at least one hour of every day walking the open streets alone. All right. You'll spend at least one hour every evening in your own room alone. I may come to see you or uh, <laughs> I may not. Mm. Trying to scare me already, are you? Finally, you'll write out a little note and give it to me. There's pen and paper on the desk in front of you. Write it now. Let's hear what I have to write before I do anything like that. You will write, I am a failure. You can't stop harping on that, can you? I am a failure. And this was the only way out. I wouldn't have done it otherwise. A suicide note? Yes. I intend to use it when I, uh, <laughs> operate. And if I won't write it? Ooh. Then there's no bet. All right, I'll do it. Hmm. It's now, uh, let's see, nine o'clock on the night of January the 10th. If you're alive and not in a madhouse... Does that go into the bargain, too? Yes. At nine o'clock on the night of June 10th, given those conditions, you will receive $25,000. Can't you hear the dice rattle, Robert? <laughs> you're playing with death now. I know it. Uh, aren't you going to finish your brandy? No, thank you. Oh, then uh, pour it back into the decanter. You heard me. Pour it back into the decanter. If you were as careful as I am, you, uh, you wouldn't be where you are now. That's right. Always be thrifty. I can promise you, by the way, that you'll always be perfectly safe as long as you're in this apartment. But that's the only concession I make. Oh. I notice your hands are steady at the moment. I wonder what they'll be like a month from now. Fool enough to make a bet with John Destry. Listen, Betty. I want to tell you what else happened the same night. I got on a Fifth Avenue bus and started to look through that book that Destry gave me. It was a book that I wanted about poisons. Well, just as I opened it, I felt something sharp prick my fingers. I looked down, and my hands were covered with blood. He had sewn safety razor blades in a line down the inside edge of the cover. Oh, no! A little white card fell out of the book. And I read it. It said, See how easy it is to take you off guard? Those razor blades aren't poisoned. But they might have been. Take warning. Betty, that was six months ago. Six months less five hours of careful, refined torture. And now, I've got only five hours to go. What's he done in the meantime? Nothing. Nothing? I don't understand. Nothing at all. That's the cleverness of it. He's left me waiting, waiting, waiting. Expecting something. Expecting it every hour of the day or night. 
Once at the laboratory where I work, I opened a box that I thought was from a chemical supply house. And the Mexican tarantula, one of those furry spiders about as big as your fist, oh, no. ran out across my head. It was a toy tarantula. He enclosed a card asking whether I didn't admire it. Well, this can't go on. I used to think I didn't have a nerve in my body. I could hold a test tube at arm's length absolutely steady for minutes at a time. Now look at me. Don't, please don't. But the waiting's almost over now. Walking the streets, wondering who's behind you. Sitting alone at night, listening for every step on the stair. He's got very little time left now, and he's got to do something. The question is, what's he going to do? Well, maybe he doesn't mean it. Maybe, maybe he's only doing it to scare you. Lose all that money? Oh, you don't know my stepfather. Listen, huh? I don't hear anything. That's just it. There's no sound of running water. The boats have stopped. Then we're all by ourselves in here. All with him. Yes. Oh, Lord, how I wish I hadn't gotten you into this. Oh, I'm all right. Uh, or at least I think I am. I thought I saw him in the crowd outside, but I couldn't be sure. I, I'm seeing him everywhere. Now, Bob, just a minute. Just tell me one more thing. Did you ever see Mr. Destry, I mean, face to face, after that first night? Many times. He came to see you? He came to my laboratory once, yes, but mostly I went to see him. And why? Because it was the only place in the world I could feel safe. He's promised that nothing should happen to you while you were in his apartment. Don't you see? It was part of the torture. Night after night he'd invite me, and I'd go right up until last night. Last night. We were in that study of his, with the devil masks on the walls... He was sitting behind the big mahogany desk. Oh, my dear Robert, I'm pleased and uh, even touched to have you here on the last night before you... Uh, uh, before you... Why don't you say die and get it over with? Oh, well, let's not say die. No, <laughs> the clergy contend that we never die. We only change, don't you? Now, let that be a consolation for you. Uh, must you be going so early? There's that one hour at home rule to our bet, if you remember. I remember. <laughs> You're keeping to the rule. Yes, and I mean to beat you at this if it's the last thing I ever do. The last thing I ever do. <laughs> That's an unfortunate choice of phrase, Robert. <laughs> My boy, you haven't a chance. Something's going to happen to you within the next 24 hours when you least expect it. Will you answer me one question? If I choose. Have you decided how you mean to kill me? I decided that six months ago. And you still think you can get away with it? It's a method which has never been known to fail. I give you my word of honor on that. Is it? Is it sudden? Yes, uh, and no. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know what it is? Good night, Mr. Destry. I, I think I'd better be leaving. No, no, my dear boy, you mustn't go yet. Sit down. Pour yourself a glass of brandy. No, thanks. Uh, then perhaps you wouldn't mind pouring me a little. Uh, my doctor allows brandy, though I'm forbidden spirits. Oh. I, uh, I notice your hands are shaking quite a good deal. 
They weren't like that six months ago, were they? No. You were full of confidence then. Oh. <laughs> and it grieves me to see you waste tobacco by lighting a cigarette and putting it out immediately. Well, it's no use lying to you. But I'm going to beat you just the same. Wouldn't like to back out now? After what I've been through? You'd still have your life. I'll keep it, thanks. Mm, that's very unwise of you, Robert. Still, you must decide. Oh, I was expecting my secretary a little later to dictate some letters. But now, um, I think I'll leave her a message that I've gone to bed and uh, turn in myself. Tomorrow is likely to prove an interesting day for both of us. Here's your hat, here's your briefcase, and let me wish you a fond, peaceful, and happy good night. <laughs> Less than four hours now. If I can keep away from the old devil until nine o'clock. I wish those boats would start running again. Why? Because it's almost as spooky in here as a real old mill. I know. Even that whack dummy on the straw. Any minute now. You're I... expecting to see him move? So am I. Now don't stand up. It doesn't matter. If the boats aren't running, we can hear anybody who comes along. I hope so. Do you think Destry's got in? Bobby can't have got in. He can't even be here. Why not? Because Mr. Destry told me. Mr. Destry told you? I'm his secretary. <laughs> you know, Betty Andrews, I'm sorry it was you who did this. Did what? You can't guess, can you? Oh, Bob, I didn't come here to trap you or spy on you. If that's what you're thinking, I swear I didn't. No. You only got me to tell you the whole story and lose my bet. I haven't heard a single word you said. Bob, please believe me. He didn't send you here, of course. No, no. And of course you never saw me at his apartment last no, night. No, I swear I didn't. I got there late. He'd gone to bed. I didn't even take off my hat or gloves before I left again. Don't you understand, Bob? I hate him, too. I want to see you beat him. You've got to beat him. You mean that? Look at me and see if I mean it. Betty, I almost believe you. You must believe me. Yes. Anything else? You better hide behind that dead man, hurry. Those boats have started up again. I wish I could tell you, Betty, what that means to me. Come on, come on, hurry. Wait a minute, you two. But stay just where you are. Where's that voice coming from? Along the tunnel, I think. But it's not Destry's voice. No, it's a man standing up in the boat. He's coming around the corner. I can see him now. Hurry. The old haunted mill, eh? My golly, if this ain't some place to make a pinch, I never heard of one. What do you mean? Make a pinch? That's what I said. Your name, Robert Penrill? Yes. Who are you and what do you want? Police headquarters. You ought to come along with me. I want to see you over in New York. About what? I wouldn't know, lady. It might be about the murder of John Destry. Oh, no! Did you say the murder of John Destry? That's right. Somebody poisoned him last night with mercury cyanide. I wouldn't have got you at all, maybe, if the barker outside there hadn't thought the cops were after you to start with. Betty. Yes, Bob? He's beaten me. He hasn't beaten you. Oh, yes, he has. And I know now the weapon Destry was going to use in killing me. What weapon? It never fails. The electric chair. You mustn't talk like that. Don't you see? He never once intended to kill me in the way I thought. 
Are you coming quietly, Mr. Pendle? Just a minute. He's poisoned himself. But he's left evidence to show I did it. He's killing me the worst way possible. He's won the bet. The money doesn't matter now. If I'm in the death house for murder, what use have I got for all the money in the world? introduce myself. My name's Mullen, Inspector Mullen. It's a pleasure to meet you, Inspector. It's a pleasure to be safe again. I've had you brought here to my office for a little quiet talk. You're in a jam, son. I want you to realize how bad it is. You think I don't realize it? John Destry was poisoned with mercury cyanide administered in a glass of brandy. And only my fingerprints were on the glass besides his own. I can guess. Mr. Destry's body was found this morning lying behind the desk in the study. There was an empty glass with traces of brandy and cyanide. We haven't had the full autopsy report, but the smell of that stuff is pretty distinctive. Tell me uh, you're a chemist, Mr. Penderell. That's right. The boys find that eight grains of mercury cyanide are missing from your laboratory. Where he visited me a month ago. And in your briefcase, which you took away from his apartment last night... He handed it to me. I remember. We found over $1,000 in cash. Now, take a look at this note. Ever see it before? Look. Yes. I wrote it. You admit that? Yes, yes, yes. It says, I was a failure and this was the only way out. I wouldn't have done it otherwise. Where did you find it? Torn up in little bits. You started to write a confession and then you couldn't face the consequences. But you shouldn't have left the pieces behind. You're intimate, my boy. Unless. Unless what? Now, if you'd like to confess here and now, and maybe we did a little deal about second-degree murder, Oh, why... Inspector, why bother to string me along? What do you mean, string you along? There's no second-degree murder on a poison charge. It's the death house and nothing. He saw to that. Too bad you had to go and kill him, son. Didn't you know he had an aneurysm? A what? Fatal heart disease. He said that he had heart trouble, but... Heart trouble. His doctor says he couldn't have lived eight or ten months anyway. And you might have got something in the will. So that's why he did it. Did what? Killed himself. You still stick to that crazy story you told the boy? He's going to kill me, isn't he? With 3,000 volts of electricity. Inspector Mullen. What are you doing here, Sergeant? Didn't I say I wasn't to be disturbed? All the same, Inspector. I thought I'd better do it. There's a young lady here, a Miss Betty Andrews. I think you'd better see her. I'll see her when I'm good and ready. I think you'd better see her, Inspector. We've just heard from Mr. Destry's lawyer. Well? He said that that young fellow there, Mr. Pendrell, inherits 25,000 bucks in Mr. Destry's new will. Did you hear that, son? Do you see what you'd have gotten if you hadn't gone and killed him? He was keeping his promise, that's all. A fine lot of good it'll do me now. But look, Inspector, I've just talked to the medical examiner, and he says there's no poison in Mr. Destry's body. Say that again? There's no poison in the old man's body. Somebody's kidding you. An empty glass with the smell of mercury cyanide and a dead man with a congested face behind the mask? What did kill him then? Well, you'd like to listen to Miss Andrews, Inspector. She's right here now. I think you'd better listen, Inspector. I've been trying to tell you all afternoon. Go ahead, Miss Andrews. I've been over and over it. Until I got the medical report, nobody would listen. Can you tell us what killed John Destry? Yes. Poison killed him. But the sergeant's just been saying there was no poison in the body. Inspector, will you listen? 
I was at Mr. Destry's apartment late last night. Well, so what? Uh, you didn't kill him, did you? The servant said he'd gone to bed. So I looked into the study to see if there were any instructions. Was Mr. Destry dead then? I don't know. I couldn't see his body because it was hidden behind the desk. I didn't even learn he was dead until late this afternoon. But I did see a full glass of brandy. Uh, a full glass, did you say? Yes. So I picked up the glass and poured the brandy back into the decanter. That's what he always made us do. And I didn't leave any fingerprints because I was still wearing my gloves. And that was the same glass you later found empty. But you still are not telling us what was the poison that killed John Destry. It was the poison in his own system. He worked out this plot to convict Bob Pendrell. Only just as he stretched out his hand to drink the cyanide... Inspector, I think I see it. It was his last great hour. He couldn't resist such gloating as he'd never known before. That's it. His heart wouldn't stand it. And he fell dead behind the desk. And I think, if you study the expression on his face, you'll find he died laughing. And so ends Will You Make a Bet with Death? Tonight's story of Suspense. The part of Bob Pendrell was played by Michael Fitzmaurice. Betty was played by Leslie Woods. John Destry was played by Nicholas Joy. And in supporting roles were Ted DeCorsia and Charles Sutton. Again next Tuesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Wartime. A story dedicated to the thrill of the nighttime. The hushed voice. The prowling step. Another adventure in... Suspense. William Spear, the producer... Mark Sloeb, the director in the absence of John Deeks, and John Dixon Carr, the author, are collaborators on Suspense. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for The Great Gildersleeve next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Harold Perry is in the spotlight next as he breathes life into that old but kind-hearted windbag Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve. It was one of broadcast history's earliest spin-off programs. The series was built around the character, a regular element of the uh, radio situation comedy Fibber, McGee, and Molly. And actor Harold Perry played the character during its transition from the parent show into the spinoff and later in four feature films released at the height of the show's popularity. Tonight's episode aired the same year as our first program, Suspense Tonight, 1942. Kraft presents The Great Gildersleeve. <laughs> The Kraft Cheese Company, who also bring you Bing Crosby every Thursday night, present each week at this time Harold Perry as the Great Gildersleeve, written by Leonard L. Levinson. Now let's visit our friend, the Great Gildersleeve, who's at the Bundles for Blue Jackets Bazaar, preparing to do his bit by acting as the barker at the booth where the pretty girls are going to sell kisses. Well, well, 
so this is my booth, eh? You know, Marjorie, I think it's going to be fun selling kisses. This is the first time I've heard of it, Uncle Mort. Gee, who are you going to sell your kisses to? Yeah. Uncle Mort isn't going to do the kissing, Leroy. I thought I was wrong about that. Yeah. Yeah. There are going to be a dozen beautiful young ladies to do the work, Leroy. Uh, incidentally, Marjorie, to be a good salesman, a fellow should know about what he's talking about, you know. <laughs> now, don't you think there's a... No, I guess free samples are out. <laughs> yeah. Gee, why spend a buck for a wet smack when you can get just as daffy on a dime to a taffy? Yes. <laughs> you know, Uncle Mort, that wasn't a bad idea, Leroy. About you kissing any of the ladies. We could charge a dollar apiece. Uh, no, my dear. Why not, Uncle? Because I'd pay a dollar myself not to kiss the type of woman who'd pay a dollar to kiss me. <laughs> Oh, Miss Marge, I got your lemonade stand all fixed up for you. But if we get the big crowd, I don't think three lemons is going to be enough. You better get some more, Bertie. They're going to open the doors in about an hour, and we're expecting a lot of people. Oh, yes. All the gentlemen in town want to patronize Mr. Gillespie's osculation station. Yeah, they do, huh? Yes, sir. They'll be buzzing around that kiss booth till their poor girls is all puckered out. Yes. <laughs> and all the ladies gonna line up at that yogi man's tent to have their fortunes told. Oh, you mean Yogi Swamahandra? Oh, Penny Banks met him in New York and he's marvelous. We're counting on him as our main attraction. Oh, there's Penny. Oh, Penny! Oh, yeah. Okay, stop now, Marge. I just heard the most terrible news. I don't know what to do. Yogi Swamahandra's missed his plane connections and won't be here in time. A fine fortune teller. Why didn't he look in his crystal ball, see that he was gonna miss the plane, and then see that he didn't? <laughs> well, we've depended on the yogi as our big money maker. Well, why don't you get a substitute? Uh, Leroy, do you think that yogis grow on bushes? I don't know. What is a yogi? Uh, a yogi is a man who tells you about your past and future for a present. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kenny, isn't there any other one floating around who can pinch hit for this man? Oh, I don't know of any. Well, why don't you get somebody to dress up and play the part? Well, Mr. Gildersley, that would be deceiving the people. What do you think those fortune tellers do? When they look in a crystal ball, they don't see any newsreel, you know. Sure, all you need is a smooth talker with a gift of gab, like Uncle Mort here. Yeah, no, wait a minute, young man. Yes, Uncle, if you wore a costume and makeup and a beard. People would still recognize me. No, you could get away with it. It's dark in that tent. But I wouldn't know what to say. Well, we could help you by giving you the lowdown on the customers. Lowdown? But suppose they got the lowdown on me. Oh, they wouldn't if you changed your voice. Uh, oh, say yes, Uncle Mort. Oh, what am I getting myself into? I'm no fortune teller. Something tells me that instead of being in front of a crystal ball, I'm going to find myself behind an eight ball. Well, what are we stopping here for, Uncle? Costume places three blocks down the street. I know, Leroy, but read the sign. Oh. Have your past, present, and future revealed by famous gypsy physique. Yes. That's psychic, Leroy. Oh. Uh, yes. Madam Rosalie, the gypsy who reveals all. Gee, Gypsy Rosalie. I've heard of her. Uh, <laughs> Leroy, that's another one. Uh, I thought maybe I could pick up a few pointers on how to go about this fortune-telling business from this woman here. Okay, let's go in. No, Leroy, you'll have to wait here. I'll be right back. <laughs> You have come to consult Madame Rosalie, the great seeress who sees everything, knows everything, and tells everybody. Yes. Why, yes, that is, if she isn't busy. I shall look in the crystal ball and see. No, I am not. 
Uh, I see. It's you. Uh, you're free. Uh, no. It will be necessary to cross my palm with silver. Oh, yes, of course. How much? One dollar for three questions. A past, a present, and a future. All right. Let me see. Give it here quick. Yes, don't grab, lady. Thank you. Now sit down and look deep into crystal balls. All right. I'm looking. What next? Excuse me, would you mind repeating that? That's what I thought you said. I'll have to remember that. What does it mean? I am calling on the spirit of my forefathers. Yeah, they must have been tobacco auctioneers then. Well, go right ahead, madam. First for the past. I see not long ago trouble. Yes. There was smoke, a dark cloud behind you. Oh, yes. Bertie burned the toast at breakfast. Yeah, very good. <laughs> Madame Rosalie, she never failed. Uh, and now for the present. Mm-hmm. You get into trouble because of man. Uh, what kind of a man? He is dark. Also heavy. Uh, does he have a black mustache? Sure, with black mustache, he gets you in trouble. You know him? Yeah, that's me. I'm my own worst enemy. <laughs> now, what about the future? Soon you will have loss, if not careful. Loss. Crystal balls say honey, terror, wagli, dura, blasto, mix, or blasto, plomene. Uh, what does that mean? Watch out. Uh, well, thank you very much. Is that all? Yes. Unless you wish to ask the $2 question. Oh, uh, I don't think I'll have the time. Let me see how late it is. Uh, by George, what did I do with my watch? I had it For right... the time? She's now? No, see here, madam. Where's my watch? How should I be knowing? I thought you knew everything. I do not bother with trifles. This wasn't a trifle. It was an $80 watch. Sir, are you accusing me? Yes. Either I get my watch back or... Hey, I'll bet you put it in that drawer. No, no, you keep out of there. Is that so? I'm going to have a look. You stop that. It's none of your business. Well, well, what's this? Madam, you've got enough watches here to start a hot shop. Oh. It, and here's mine. Well, thank you. I guess I'll go now. You, you, Heshni Malokarando, Sebabaninga, Trami, Todo, Dali. What does that mean? No, no, don't answer that. <laughs> so long, madam, and don't take any wooden watches. Nuts to you, Joe. <laughs> Well, a debutante. <laughs> oh, well. Hey, hey, come on, Leroy. Uh, did you learn anything, Uncle Morgan? I'll say I did. When the gypsy says watch out, she means you're going to be out of watch. <laughs> what do you mean, Uncle? Well, you see this gold timepiece of mine? Yeah. Well, that gypsy tried to... Oh, my goodness, Leroy. This isn't my timepiece at all. Well, wait a minute, Uncle Morgan. Where are you going? I'm going back to get my watch from that gypsy woman. But she hasn't got it, Uncle. What do you mean? How do you know? You laid it down on the dining room table at lunchtime and left home without it. Oh, this is a fine mess. This way, Unc. I mean Maharaja. The bazaar is in full blast. Yeah, not so fast, Leroy. Is everything all right with my costume? If How about the turban? Your laundry mark's showing. Yeah, well... There, that's better. Oh, thanks. How about this beard? Gee, your best friends won't tell you. From a Hindu, I mean. Yes. Shh. There's Penny and Marjorie and Bertie. Let's see if we can fool them, huh? You pretend I'm the real yogi. All right. Uh, hey, Penny, uh, this gentleman was outside and said he wanted to see you. Uh, this is Miss Banks, Mr. Yogi. Hey, greetings, Mem Sahib. A thousand pardons if I'm late. Oh, Uncle Moore, you look cute. Yeah, what's new? 
I'll never get away with it. Oh, yes, you can, Mr. Gildersleeve. Oh, sure, Uncle. You look just like you stepped out of Kipling. Isn't he, Bertie? That's right. I swear he's been Kipling all his life. <laughs> People are waiting there at the fortune store, Mr. Gildersleeve. Now, here's what we'll do. Marge, you sell tickets. Okay. And, Bertie, you and I will spot the customers and tell Leroy their names and all of us. Yes, ma'am. I know the lowdown on the high ups. And then, Leroy, you go around to the back of the tent. There's a hole there, and you whisper the information to your uncle. Well, how will I know when Leroy is there? Uh, suppose I knock three times. On a canvas tent? That's like knocking on a wet sponge. <laughs> how about whistling something? That's a good idea. What do I whistle? How about something boogie-woogie? Yes. No, Bertie, spare me the hot licks. Why not something Indian? Oh, like by the waters of the Minnetonka? No, Marjorie, East Indian, like, uh... The pale hands I love beside the Selimar. Wouldn't you rather hear deep in the heart of Texas? <laughs> no, Leroy. Pale hands, not clap hands. Uh, that should be easy to remember. Just look at your hands. Oh, just look at your hands. What's wrong with them, huh? You better wash them. They're not pale enough. People are waiting, Mr. Gildersleeve. You better go in the tent and get started. Wait a minute, girls. I'm getting cold feet. Well, just fold them up underneath you and sit on them, Uncle. Yeah. Now, in you go. Hurry All up. right, if you insist. Careful there, Stoop. Leroy, what did you call me? Uh, Stoop, Uncle, you'll knock your turban off. Uh. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. I thought you... Well, never mind what I thought you, you said. You just com- get comfortable in there, Uncle Morton. We'll start sending in the victims. All right, whenever you're ready, just shoot the gulls to me, gals. <laughs> uh, now, let me see. How do you do this, Mahatma Gildersleeve? Oh, it must be ready to start. Where's that hole in the canvas? Ah, yeah, this must be it. Is that you, Leroy? It ain't Carmen Lombardo. Get set now, won't you? are about to tell your first fortune. Believe me, I'd give a fortune to get out of here. Who is it? It's some man that none of us knows. Oh, this is going to be one of my bad days. <laughs> Can't you stall him off? They tried, but no soap. So you got to take him first. Well, I'll do my best. How do I look? Your laundry marker's showing again. If... Get back there. Here he comes. I wish I had a mirror in here. Uh, greetings and salutations, Saeed. Hello. Uh, you have come to consult Yogi Swamahandra, the king of the Hindu mystics, no? No. Oh, you didn't? <laughs> you didn't? Oh, well, then, then why did you come here? To ask you about Alice Higgins and Mrs. Belmont of and Marie King. Uh, what about them, Saeed? <laughs> As if you didn't know. If I do. <laughs> come, come, sir. If you care to gaze in the crystal ball, maybe I can locate these people. They sent me to locate you, Andrews. If Andrews? If you are making some mistake. Yes, I, I am the Yogi Swamahandra. Sure, sure, I know that. Yogi Swamahandra. Alias William Andrews. Alias Walter Bunker. Alias Louis the Frost. Alias Pete Brown. If who, me? Yes. And Detective Lieutenant Quinn from Chicago, where you're wanted for jump a bail on bunco charges. If what? You're also wanted in Idaho for obtaining money under false pretenses, in Baton Rouge for running a confidence game, and in Florida for selling rubber plants guaranteed to grow white sidewall tires. <laughs> Now back to the great Gildersleeve, who suddenly found himself a much-wanted man by the police of half a dozen cities. Now, that isn't fair. Just a second, just a second. Hold it, hold it. Quiet, please. Quietly, Roy. 
I don't care what you people say. I came here to grab the yo guy, and he's going back to face trial. But officer, you're making a mistake. This is my uncle, Mr. Gildersleeve. Yes, Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve. Boy, that's a phony alias if I ever heard one. <laughs> see, you can see he isn't a yogi. Uh, take your beard off again, Uncle. Yeah. Never mind, never mind. I know he's a fake yo guy. His real name is Willie Andrews, and he's known as Willie the Tub. Yep. I am not a tub. It's just the way this coat buttons. Yeah, I knew that when I started to fool folks, I'd get into trouble. My mama done told me. But, Lieutenant Quinn, if you take him away now, bundles of blue jackets will lose a lot of money. Why don't you wait till we close down tonight? Well, okay, miss, okay. I'll let this grafter operate for the balance of the show, but I'll be on guard right outside the tent. Is that understood? Well, yes, uh, excuse me. Do you mind if I go home? I'm expecting a bad headache. Now, you, you stay right here, Uncle Mort. Uh, Don't worry. We're going to get this all straightened out before the bazaar closes, Mr. Gildersleeve. Come on, let's let the yogi get to work. Come on, Lieutenant. Come on, Marjorie. Leroy. Okay, I'm coming. Uh, take it easy, Uncle Mort. Remember, keep a stiff upper turban. If... <laughs> How can I? I've been in hot water ever since I put on this Turkish towel. We'll get you out of this, Uncle, if it takes us years. Yeah, and it looks like it will, too. Remember, Willie, no tricks now. Uh... Oh, here we go again. Yes, Leroy, who is it this time? The district attorney? You're getting warm, Uncle. It's your old pal, Judge Hooker. What? Oh, well, that old crab wants his fortune told. <laughs> uh, this is the first pleasant thing that's happened to me all day. All right, Leroy, go on, go on, go on. This way you come to have your hand read? Uh, no, Saeed. The yogi, he does not work by the hand. He's the crystal ball player. <laughs> uh, please to take a seat down, Judge. Judge? Judge? Say, how do you know I'm a judge? You're speaking to Yogi Swamahandra, queen of the Hindu mystics. <laughs> a great soothsayer who sees all, knows all, and tells a little. Well, that was certainly good, guessing my profession. It's not necessary for me to guess, Judge Hooker. What? I know. Now it will be necessary to cross my palm with silver. But I paid my dollar outside. I have no contact with the outside. <laughs> That is separate business. The silver, please, in form of a $5 bill. I will not. No, sir, I will not. How about that $5 bill you won at poker last night? Say, how did you know that? Shh, don't worry. I shall not tell a soul you were supposed to draw one card and you picked up two. (laughs) Thank you very much, Saeed. Now look deep into the crystal ball. Hey, 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 what are you doing? I am calling on the spirit of my forefathers. But if you're going to tell my fortune, why don't you call on my forefathers? Because, Sahib, I cannot bark. (laughs) What's that? Silence, please. I am gazing into your past. It is mighty murky. Well, what do you see? I see you have a friend. A dark man with mustache. Is he fat, fellow? No, not fat. Maybe a little plump. <laughs> but on him, he's look good. Yeah. He's handsome dog, no? I wouldn't call him handsome, but he's a dog, all right. <laughs> Enough. You are always abusing this friend, feller, giving him the hot foot in his soul. Uh, that is bad. For you, I mean. 
You think so? Yes. Oui. Da. <laughs> he said in my native tongue, is that so? Say, what does it mean? It means be good to Gildersleeves or he give you coughing around, that's what. Say, you're a whiz. I'd like to put you to one last test, though. Uh, now, this is a hard one. What's this friend's first name? I know it as well as I know my own. <laughs> He's a Throckmorton P. That's absolutely right. Hmm. Say, Yogi, uh, elections are coming up pretty soon. Can you tell me if I'm going to win again? Let me look in the crystal ball. Yeah. Duh, I can see the day of election. You can? Yeah, lots of voters, in and out, all day long. Yes, yes, yes. Now it is late, twilight. They close the polls. I see, and then? They are counting the votes. Yes, yes, go on. It's getting dark. They are adding up totals. I see. Well, what is it? I think I see uh, no, I can't. What's wrong? What's the trouble? It's so dark I cannot read the results. Hey, Uncle. It, Leroy, stop yelling, Uncle. Hi, George, I'm ready to yell Uncle myself. I've told about more fortunes this afternoon than Dunn and Bradstreet. Oh, cheer up, Uncle Mort. The next one is the last before dinner. Well, all right. Who is it now? Mrs. Salisbury Twitchell. Oh, that mildewed old scorpion. <laughs> yeah, you know all about her. I better duck now. Yeah, I hope I can hold out. Uh, Madam, uh, Yogi Swamahandra welcomes you. Uh, Hello. First of all, Mr. Swami, or Yogi, or whatever you are, I want you to know that I don't believe in any of this nonsense. Why, of course not, Mrs. Salisbury Twitchell. Oh, you know my name. Who told you? I am Yogi Swamahandra. I know everything. Well, I wager that you don't know everything. What was my maiden name? Excuse me, I got to look in the crystal ball. With this ball, I can even look that far back. <laughs> oh, I got it. Madam, before you were married, your name used to be McGillum Cody. A babe, McGillum Cotty. Uh, all right, uh, that's enough. You don't need to go on. Your father, she had farm, raised turnips. Oh, now that's where you're wrong. They were beets. Excuse, please. But beets look like turnips because this is not technicolor crystal ball. <laughs> I see many interesting things in your past, madam. Shall I tell you? Oh, uh, no, no. Uh, you know them, and so do I, so why bother? Uh, you have led a very interesting life, madam. <laughs> Would make wonderful movie. Uh, do you uh, think so, Joe? Sure. With title, How Green Was My Mr. Twitchell? <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell me, madam. You still do not believe in my powers? Uh, no, I've, uh, I've changed my mind. You're positively uncanny. Uh, now, sir, I have a number of problems and I need your advice. Uh, suppose I tell you all about them. Yeah, some other time, Mrs. Twitchell. Now I got to go eat dinner. Oh, but of course. Why don't you come out to my house? What? Oh, no, I got to relax. And besides, uh, I've already promised Miss Forrester I got to have dinner at her house. Oh, but I must talk to you some more. Uh, I know what. Oh, Marjorie. Uh, what'd you do? Uh, yes, my dear. I've become so fascinated with the yogi that I've insisted on his coming to dinner at my place. Uh, you must come, too, and bring your little brother. 
And that uncle of yours, Mr. Gildersleeve? If not him, not Gildersleeve. If he comes along, I'll not be there. Oh. <laughs> I'm getting to like you more every minute. <laughs> Uh, very well. Let's get out of this tent. My car is at the curb. Looks like we're stuck, Uncle. Shh. I've got a reading out of my hand, Marjorie. I'm coming, Mrs. Mitchell. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Where do you think you're going? Shh. I'm going out to dinner. Not without me, you ain't. Oh, Yogi. Who is this uh, gentleman? Uh, who? Oh, this. Uh, this is Mr. Quinn. He's, uh, he's trying to get me to do some work for the state. <laughs> <laughs> you you might as well invite him to dinner too because he's going to come along anyway. Thank you very much. Uh, oh, uh, now, Yogi, uh, tell me something about India. Uh, India? Sure, Yogi, go ahead. You're an old Indian faker. Uh, I am Indian fake eel. Well, there's no difference between the two, is there? No more than between a flat foot and a flat head. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, that's a hot one, Uncle Mort. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, yeah, that's a hot one, uh, Uncle Mort would have said. Leroy, finish your spinach. Oh, gee, I bet they don't eat spinach in India, do they, Yogi? Uh, da. Where I come from, they stuff children with spinach so they can't talk at dinner time. <laughs> Oh, uh, that reminds me. I've been meaning to ask. Uh, what part of India did you come from, Yogi? Eh, uh, all of me. <laughs> no, no. I mean, where were you born? Oh, born. Now I grab you. Where was I born? Uh, in my papa's house. Uh, my mama done told me. <laughs> well... I think it's time for me to return to the bazaar. Let me see. And, uh, he's already 15 minutes coming to 8 o'clock. Oh, what a beautiful gold watch. Uh, How did you get it, Yogi? It was given to me by Gypsy's woman. She thought I was a fellow named Joe. I must remember to mail it back to her. Excuse me, Yogi. Uh, yes? The beard is coming off. Oh, my goodness. How's that? Oh, it's crooked. It points off to the left. Oh, How's it now? Any better? Yeah, but we better get out of here before it falls into your finger. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mrs. Twitchell, but now I must make the grand scrap. Yes, and after he finishes tonight, we've got to go on a little trip, don't we, Yogi? Oh, well, aren't you staying in town for a few days? No, no. We have a little legal business to attend to in Chicago. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's too bad. Madame Twitchell, you said a mouseful. Well, take good care of the yogi on the trip. Oh, sure. I won't let him out of my sight. In fact, I'm going to simply attach myself to him. Oh, holy catfish. What did you say, yogi? Nothing, nothing, madam. I was only praying to the holy catfish of the Ganges River. (laughs) Goodbye, Mrs. Twitchell. Come on, everybody. This is over pretty soon. I'm plenty tired of tenting tonight on the old campground. Is that you, Leroy? No, sir. This is Bird. What are you doing whistling pale hands? Where's Leroy? It's late. He's gone home, and I'm on the swing ship. (laughs) Oh, I see. 
Well, who's next, Bertie? There's a big gentleman with a dull red gleam in his eyes. Huh? Has y'all been telling some wife or husband's a philanthropist? Bertie, I've told so many different people so many different stories. I don't know what I said. I better get out of here. Bertie, you go out and stall him a little while, huh? Okay, but he ain't the type that stalls good. Oh, if I can crawl under the back of this tent and sneak out before that nosy detective from Chicago discovers that, oh, hello, Lieutenant Quinn. Uh, <laughs> what are you doing here? Get back in there, Tubby, before I take you to Chicago in a box. Yes, well, I, I was only after a breath of fresh air. You don't have to crawl out on your hands and knees after it. Now get back in there, Willie. All right, and stop calling me Willie. Man, Excuse me, but are you the man who calls himself Yogi Swamahandra? It does. Have you got an appointment? No, I haven't. Then I can't read your fortune. Okay, then I will read yours. If. Take a good look in the crystal ball, Yogi. What do you see? Um, I see nothing. Well, I see something. I can see you tomorrow morning. You are waking up. In a hospital bed. If, if what? Your jaws fracture. Both of your eyes are black. Your nose is in splints. And your ribs are barbecued. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What are you talking about? And my predictions come true, my friend, and I'll make sure. Now, wait a minute. Who are you? I just got into town on a late plane, and I find my reputation is ruined. And you've done it, you faker. I am the real Yogi Swamahandra. Oh, you are. Well, I'm certainly glad to meet you. No, you won't be. I'm going to give you a taste, a retread job. No, you don't. You keep away from me. Oh, Mr. Quinn. Oh, Mr. Quinn. Hey, what's the idea? Now, what are you up to? Hey, grab that man. There's your real yogi. Yeah. Do your duty, officer. Hey, come back here and fight. Uh, that's for you, Joseph. <laughs> There we were, Judge. Me and Willie the Tub locked in mortal combat. But I subdued him by sheer brute strength. Well, seeing what you've done, I guess I'll have to forgive you for tricking me, Gildersleeve. Say, I just remembered. What did you do with my five bucks? Oh, that. <laughs> I did the best thing possible with it, Judge. I've given it to the American Red Cross. I hope everyone who's listening in will find an extra five spot to turn over to the Red Cross this week. Like I did? Huh? If like you did, Judge. Good night. Great Children's Day to come to you from Hollywood. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Thanks for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Richard Diamond, followed by Lights Out. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.